Welcome to another episode of Bleachers and Boards, brought to you by the Hoop Heads Podcast. I'm Marlon Guild, and along with my co-host Matt Collier, we'll analyze everything from hoops to hip-hop. Check us out. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Bleachers and Boards with Matt Collier and Marlon Guild. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, the Players Court, and our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, Grizz and Grind, and Nuck If You Buck. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel. Featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Welcome everybody to another episode of Bleachers and Boards. I'm Matt Collier here with my co-host Marlon Guild, and uh, excited to do another episode. This time we got a guest, man. I'm with it, man. Let's do it. Excited about this one. No, this is uh, this is a, we're really excited about this one. Our first guest ever here on Bleachers and Boards. And we got an excellent guest, a uh, veteran, veteran in uh, the college basketball game. And we're really fortunate enough to have Chuck Martin from the University of South Carolina, men's basketball. How's, uh, how's it going tonight, Chuck? Man, it's going great. I appreciate you guys having me, man. This, no, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, couldn't I, I, you know, Marlon and I talked about, it. I don't think we could ask for a better first guest for our uh, show for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I've known Chuck for, uh, looking at the looking at the date 2020 so i met chuck in uh 2000 when he came to umass as an assistant in uh, my senior year at umass so 20 years of uh mentorship and friendship so this is this is fantastic that we're, we're getting an opportunity to do this i'm gonna try to not mess chuck's bio up because it's very he's been in the game like i said for a very long time but i uh, was a very good high school player and college player um, went on to coach at LaSalle uh, Academy in Lower Manhattan uh, was first started coaching then moved on to uh, St. Ray's alma mater high school. Then he um, believe it was hoop group right next Chuck. All right. Yeah. Then went and went to the work for the hoop group with Rob Kennedy. Then he transitioned to college basketball and got an opportunity to start his coach college coaching career at uh, Manhattan College. Uh, was there with uh, Bobby Gonzalez and then went on to uh, coach at UMass. Like I said, where I met Chuck. Um, we were together for a season, and then he went with uh, Bruiser Flint to Drexel. Um, uh, after Drexel, went to St. John's with Norm Roberts, was there for a few years, had good success. And then uh, University of Memphis, Coach Cal uh, was on the staff that went to the championship game. And then I believe it was... Head, yeah, yeah, became the head coach at Marist. Was head coach at Marist for four, four seasons, Chuck? Five. Five seasons. Five seasons at Marist as a head coach uh, in the MAC. So it was, uh, you know, obviously very, really competitive basketball. And then you went from uh, Marist. Then uh, is that when you went to uh, Oklahoma City, caught on with the Thunder? Yeah, for a year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, some NBA experience in there. And then uh, came back to the college game with uh, Tom Crean at Indiana and coached there for a few seasons. I'm not sure how many. How many was it, Chuck? Three, three seasons. Three yeah, seasons at Indiana, and then uh, currently at uh, University of South Carolina under Frank Martin, uh, and obviously a great program down there. So uh, he's definitely a veteran in this game, and uh, 
I'll tell a quick story about Chuck. And I know uh, Marlon has a similar sentiment, but this is a if you don't have people look out for you in this business, it's very hard to get a shot, number one, and then uh, advance. And uh, Chuck was instrumental for sure in getting me my first job. If, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even have gotten an opportunity. My first job was uh, working at the Globe Institute of Technology for Kenny Wilcox. And I just happened to be at Drexel hanging out working camp. And Chuck said, hey, I just spoke to this guy in New York at a junior division one junior college that's looking for an assistant. Would you be interested? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, jump right on it. And, and obviously Chuck's word carried a lot of weight, uh, which he didn't have to do. He only knew me as a manager. And to be a full time assistant coach at a division one uh, junior college program was um, a great opportunity, and I was fortunate enough to to get it, and, and that was the beginning of my journey coaching college basketball. So, um, first of all, thank you for for that, and um, you know, now like I said, twenty years later, we're, we're doing this. It's, it's it's crazy how this business works, right? Twenty years, crazy. Yeah, flew by, flew by. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it didn't always feel like it, but now when I look up, I'm like, man, twenty years. I know Marlon, you had a a similar situation where Chuck was instrumental in uh, getting you uh, your foot in the door, right? Uh, no, no question. And I, I don't want to turn this into a, a little, you know, crawfish, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that means I'm old. <laughs> but nah, uh, you know, Chuck actually got me in, in the game, uh, you know, this coaching thing. When I was working at Rivals as a recruiting analyst, one day I just got a phone call and I didn't recognize the number. So usually I don't pick up those numbers if I don't recognize them. <laughs> I, I picked it up. This is in 2006, 2007. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm talking and I get, hey, this is Chuck Martin from St. John's Men's Basketball. Uh, is this Marlon Guild? I'm like, yeah. Hey, so you work for the Red Storm Report. I, I think that was the name of it. Uh, yeah. You might remember. And with that, you know, Chuck had me come down to the office and hang out with those guys uh, at the Tapner Fieldhouse overlooking the practice yeah. gym. And at the time, I wouldn't even think about getting into coaching, but Chuck would always call me and like, hey, you know, this kid's on our radar, call him, you know, and I'm probably giving up some tidbits here, but, <laughs> you know, um, just say, hey, reach out to this kid, uh, see what he's thinking about us. And from there, I'm like, you know, Chuck's my guy. As soon as I can say Chuck's my guy and I'm going, you know, just pick his brain to get into the college coaching game, I get a phone call. Hey, man, I'm leaving to go to uh, Memphis. And I'm like, come on, man. That that was my end right there. (laughs) And he goes to to Memphis. and But you know what? The the biggest thing I I learned from that is, uh, you know, when, when you find a real one, you know, Chuck's that because he never switched up anytime I call. He still picks up. Uh, when, when he got to Maris, we spoke a little bit about me coming up there to, to work with him. Uh, it didn't work out. I ended up going to St. Peter's uh, in, in the same conference. And, you know, to this day, anytime I, I call him, I'm sure, Matt, like you said, it's a lot of guys that can say the same thing. Uh, when they call Chuck, he, he's going to pick up. So to have him on as the first guest is great. Uh, and like I said, we ain't going to get all gushy on this. We're going to get into this basketball talk, but I think that just speaks on Chuck as a person. So 
All right, when I get into the city, I'll take everybody to dinner. All right. Yeah, yeah. Pump me all up. <laughs> Carmines. Carmines. Let's do it. <laughs> old. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, though. Seriously. It's awesome. Well, no, so um, nah, but you're for sure family. So we're excited to have you as our, our first guest. So um, you've been a lot of different places, but currently at uh, South Carolina and you've learned a lot on your journey. Um, but one of the things that we try to do here at uh, Bleachers and Boards is just talk about guys that have been doing it for a long time with a high level of success and sometimes get the reputation of hey, this guy's a recruiter and and you've obviously over your career, you know, and I've seen it firsthand and also from afar, you know, you've done a really good job of that. Very good, which is why you've been successful in the business. But you've been a lot of places and learned a lot. So um, if you would please tell the audience why you feel and, you know, feel free to be you know, not too humble about why you are more than a recruiter. Before I answer that, can I just introduce my man, Andy Astley? Absolutely. Uh, he's been uh, he's been with Frank for forever. Mm-hmm. He was with Huggins at Cincinnati. Then he was with Huggins and Frank at uh, at Kansas State and then came over to South Carolina, Final Four, Elite Eight. So Andy's awesome. So so he's kind of hanging out tonight and um, he's helping me with the with the film. So I just want to introduce my man, Andy, double A, as we call him in the office. Double A, welcome to Bleachers and Boards. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, the recruiting part, man, as you guys know, you guys are doing it. You guys are living it. The The recruiting component is so critical. It's necessary. It's the bloodline of a program. You know, guys have heard that a million times. But for me, I, I think this is just my opinion. I'm a better evaluator than I am a recruiter. Now, I've been fortunate to recruit some pretty good players who – who were, you know, high-level, five-star McDonald's All-American. But really, I pride myself on the kids who turned out to be just as good, if not better, who weren't. And, um, you know, right now, as we're, as we're doing this, one of my favorites, OG Ananobi, mm-hmm. with the Raptors, was not ranked in the top 300, like for real. Wasn't ranked in the top 300. And we're walking – we're at an Under Armour event, and there's five courts, and we're walking – from court one to court five to see the big time players on each bookend. And as we're walking through, there's OG Ananobi. I'm like, who's that guy? You know, you go, you go to the, to the book at the desk, name's not even in the book. Wow. So he's a perfect example. Those are the ones that for me, because you got to stamp that one, right? Yeah. You got to put your name on it. You've got to, you got to say that kid is not only good enough, he can help us win at IU. He can help us win a championship and play in the NBA when no one else believes that. And at that time, they thought he was a Division three center, maybe a Division two power forward. Um, the other young man that was awesome, that is awesome, is Jawan Morgan. Was mm-hmm. with Utah Jazz. Wasn't ranked in the top 200. And then he starts in the playoffs the other day. So, you know, I've been fortunate to be with some good programs that allotted me to recruit some high-level talent. And those guys are awesome, and um, but I but I take pride in in um, being able to evaluate and then put my name on it, and then live with the results. If if he turns out to be as good as I thought, that's awesome. If he doesn't, you know, I made a mistake, but I had the courage to to go, you know, pursue it and 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 had the conviction to go after it. All right, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's um. You know, that that's important. And and you um, I know also that um, 
your ability to teach is something also that you look at as a something that is um you look at one of your best qualities as a coach and, and your teaching background um you know you started off as a teacher why don't you talk to us a little bit about that yeah so like i spent seven years of my career of my life teaching well, i taught for three years at LaSalle, four years at LaSalle, and then three years at St. Raymond's. So really, that's kind of how I view the world, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I'm either teaching or I'm learning something. So for me, it's pretty simple that way. And, you know, I'm in the film room. I'm teaching. I'm, I'm in, I'm in, you know, with this scout report, we're preparing for, for Ryder. We're preparing for Queens. We're preparing for Kentucky, where we're preparing for. That's my classroom, and that's where I feel comfortable. If I'm on the court and we're trying to go over some kind of scheme, offensively or defensively, um, I just—that's how I view the world. I, I view the world through the eyes of a teacher, and and being in the classroom for seven years has been unbelievably beneficial to me in uh, in in college basketball. Uh, that's great. That's great. Well, I, I'm looking forward to get taught tonight. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, that's that. Well, that's a big part of what we're trying to do with this platform is we we want to we want to educate, we want to promote and we want to make sure that uh, we're providing a service to you know coaches of all ages that, um, you know, want to learn and get better and grow the game that, you know, that's what we're, you know, the platform we're trying to provide. So um, and also I'm trying to learn myself. I'm always trying to get better as a coach and I'm, I'm can feel pretty confident speaking for Marlon that um, he feels the same way. And that's why we started it. So um, yeah, let, let, you know, I'm ready to learn. Let's get to it. South Carolina basketball, uh, you know, courtesy of Chuck Martin. What do we got tonight? Let's do it, man. Let's talk about. Uh, before we go into it real quick, before we go into yep. it, I'm giving a disclaimer. I'm not taking any information. I know we're. <laughs> this year. Uh, I, I gave my word. I, I signed off on it. I, I will not take anything from this recording to bring back to my team. <laughs> we are here for everybody to learn. So, Chuck, let's do it. Double A, let's do it. Let, let's have a yeah. good time. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Um, so let, let's talk about tonight. We're going to talk about ball screen defense. And, you know, this is my the start of my 22nd season in college basketball. And I've been super fortunate to work for some really good coaches and really good programs. But this is completely unique working for Frank Martin and how he defends in general. But for sure, how he defends ball screens is completely different from anything I've ever experienced. So, you know, I'm still learning. Um, again, this is the start of my fourth year. So I've gotten a little bit better. Um, I, I think the first thing that we've got to touch on is um, the mindset and the attitude defensively and the culture of the program. Before we even talk about the technical part of it, there's a culture and a mindset and the attitude of we're not going to let you run your action. Now, that doesn't always translate as AA and I know. That doesn't always happen because you guys are good coaches from good programs or good players. Um, but that's our attitude going into it. And you know, Marlon and, and Matt, you guys are too good offensively in today's day and age. In 2020, your minds are too good. You guys are too creative. So right now, in today's day and age, you've got, you know, side ball screen, empty side ball screen. People are slipping ball screens, ghosting ball screens, stagger ball screen. They're putting shooter into, you know, a, a ball screen to a back screen. So now you help with the shooter so he can pop. You guys are too good and too creative 
So we, we've got to figure out a way defensively to manage that. And, and the, the biggest thing that I'm, that I'm learning here at South Carolina is we don't just want to guard the ball screen. We, want to, we don't want it to happen. We don't want it to take place. We want to disrupt it. And if we can disrupt it for 40 minutes, then that's awesome. Because, again, you guys are too creative in what you do. So let's. what we're going to do is we're going to show you practice so you can kind of see a few of the clips of us defensively in a ball screen shell defense and then try to walk through it as best we can of what we're trying to do and, uh, and try to be as detailed as we can so you can, you can visualize it a little bit. Okay. Um, so as we're going through it, just keep in mind, you know, two simple things as double A's pulling this stuff up, you know, you're going to see live clips in a few seconds and, and where the ball is starting right here with Alonzo Frank, that ball should never stop there, start there rather. You know, our philosophy is we're going to guard to piss out the ball. So that possession should be initially starting by what we call the block C at half court. And right now, the coaches have instructed the perimeter guys, let the ball be passed. Let the initial pass take place. But really, because you can see Jaria Bolden, he's in, he's what we call in line, in denial. But for the drill's sake, let it go through. So right now, the minute the ball is passed, right, pause right there, double A, go back for two seconds for me. The, so the defender. Ball, ball went from the top of the key to the wing. Correct. So now Mike Kotsar just so you guys are aware, is a six foot ten, two hundred and seventy two pound forward center. So immediately he jumps to the ball, and now he forces Alonzo Frank to make a decision. Pause right there, Double A. Alonzo Frank initiates the contact. Mm-hmm. He initiates it. So right now, this is part of us, our mindset of rerouting or redirecting the ball screen. I'm not giving you what we call a free run into it. Now, the interesting thing about this is Alonzo Frank, the kid who initiated the offense in white, he knows that we defend this way. And he's six foot seven and a half, about 270 pounds. So he's trying to force his way into this. And I I only mention that because when we play in games and you're not accustomed to this, it completely keep, it completely catches you off guard. So right now, Mike Kotar has Alonzo Frank and both of his feet outside the three-point line. So, so we're not allowing that guy right now to just run into a set of ball screen inside the three. The, the other teaching point that's really, really critical is usually when guards defend the ball and pick and roll, they're so consumed with the screener that they start peeking. They start looking because they don't want to get hit. So when you do that, you release what we call release the ball. We don't want to ever release the ball. So right now in this particular possession, we know the guard defending the ball is not releasing the ball because the offensive player's got his hips, his knees, his toes, and his shoulder facing half court. We've won that battle right now because his first dribble is going towards half court, not downhill. So as we go through it, pause right there. Our defender, X5, you see his right hand on the screener. What he's doing at that moment is he's not allowing the screener to set the screen lower. He's keeping keeping him above, which then forces the screen two inches above, which now the ball handle number five is outside the white, the three-point line, which then allows our on-ball defender, which he did not release, 
to go under and meet him right away. Now, on the weak side, we've got Justin Minaya at the SEC. we got Wildens Levesque at the midline. So those guys are prepared. If indeed he does go downhill, we're there. But right now, pretty good coverage. So now we go under. We rerouted this guy. Number five can't get downhill. His dribble is sideways. We completely disrupted that action. So now we reverse it. So now before double-A runs the film, pause right there. We're, we're telling Mike Kotsar, X5, right, who's guarding number 20, allow him to beat you just for the drill's sake. If this were live, Mike Kotsar would be at the SEC, again, disrupting the ball screen again, rerouting him. But now what we're trying to simulate is in a game, what teams usually do is they send a guard to screen for number 20 so then he can get a free run into the ball screen. So we're trying to simulate that. And then what happens when you're late, meaning the five man or the four man? When you're late, then we got to go into our secondary coverage. So that's what you're going to see right now. So we're allowing number 20 to go. Mike's letting him go. And we're conceding that we were late. Now what we got is over coverage. Our guard's going to fight over the top. Pause right there. Mike Kotsar is going to sink right around the elbow area. And now because our guard is not releasing the ball, again, we're winning the battle because his shoulders and knees are towards half court. They're not turning inward. If he does turn the corner or attempts to, then we got your ear Jair Bolden at the midline to stunt and get back. Now the ball got reversed. So the ball started out at the top of the key, went to the wing. The first action was the uh, five men disrupted the ball screen, didn't let the um, offensive five men get a clean screen. Um, the guard went underneath. Then the ball got reversed back, uh, back through to now the left side wing. And now this is where the this uh, over um, coverage, coverage is, is, is taking place. Correct. So like you guys, meaning the coaches, <clears throat> pretty good at putting us in multiple ball screens in one possession. So if we take away your first ball screen option, you guys are too good. You're, you're going to counter it with a second and third. So then we've got to counter your counter with second and third coverages. So right now, you can see Justin Manaya has the ball, I, I'm guessing, maybe 12 feet above the three-point line. Right. We've won that battle. He's so high up on the ground. If, and really, if it were us, we would want him by the block C. But, okay, he's not turning the corner. And Mike Kotsar, X5, is sitting down at the elbow waiting for him to turn with Jair Bolden. And he's a, Yeah, he's above the, the ball handler is above the hash mark at this point. So he's – not in a great threatening position to to make a play from out there, but what's remarkable remarkable about it is you guys still have really intense pressure on the ball, even though he's that far from the basket. And really, making it tough. It's a great point by you, but really, none of the coaches, you know, Double A, myself, we're not satisfied with that because we want the ball at the block C. Which the block C would be around the the, the jump ball jump ball yeah, circle. Right. So right now we're not. We're just, in our, in our opinion, mm-hmm. in our culture, we're just surviving that possession. Uh, we feel like we're really into you. We got you up by the block C. You know, now we play differently than most. 
So most people, when they watch it, they're like, man, you got them 10, 12 feet above the three-point line. We want them all the way to half court if we could. Wow. But again, you guys are pretty good. And players, you know, in our league are pretty good. So they've got something to say about, hey, trying to play downhill. So right now we're surviving the possession. So what you're going to see now. Let me ask you this real quick, Chuck. So how important is it uh, where Justin knows that ball screen is coming? And like you said, a lot of guys worry about getting hit on that screen. But he kind of steps through the screen and isn't worried about getting hit. Is that something you guys teach as well, just to fight through that screen as opposed to just collapsing on it and, and getting hit? Right. So if you if you were at our practice, if you were at this practice or any practice, whoever's defending the ball at any given time, ball screen or not, you're going to hear coaches yelling, don't release the ball. And for us, don't release the ball is giving them space. So like 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 don't you're big enough and strong enough to handle any screen that's coming. Do not release the ball. So Justin's a little bit older. At this point, he's played, you know, 60 games in his career. So he understands I'm not worried about the screener because what happens is if I get into the ball, you, the ball handler, start to fade towards the sideline, which then then inevitably you whiff on the screen. You don't hit me. You, you get hit when you release the ball and try to go under and try to mess around. So now Justin Minaya is so into the ball because he never released it that really Alonzo Frank never really hit him. Mm. And he knew not to because Kotsar is screaming over, over, over. Correct. From the elbow. So Kotsar is yelling it at the elbow over, over, over. That is the coverage. So we know, hey, I got hung up. They put us in a second ball screen within the same possession. I, could, I couldn't reroute him. So now what is the second coverage, the secondary coverage? This is it. So everyone's in position. We heard it. We're going to execute it. So we've taken the second ball screen away. So now you're going to see a third ball screen in one possession. And the guy involved in the ball screen is a freshman. And he's probably done this maybe three times at this point. And he's used to, Matt and I had this conversation. He's a freshman. He's used to allowing the offensive player to, to cut in front of him to go into the ball screen. So then you can defend it the way you're taught, whether it's hedging it, uh, pinch and go under, uh, trap it, whatever it is. He's taught, hey, let him go. So he, he doesn't – he's not used to doing it the way we're doing it. So that's what you're going to see now, which is maybe a step-up ball screen. We call it a Louisville ball screen. So he so can't – Yep. So about uh, – okay, so yeah, the video is going to play. Yep. So he couldn't get downhill. So now here's the third. Pause right there. So we never rerouted him. He got a free run into the ball screen. So now this would have been a slot ball, a slot step up ball screen. The the biggest sprinting up from the balls now on the on the right side lane line, and the the biggest sprinting up from the the right side block into a step up ball screen. Right. So double A. If you go back two seconds, right? If you rewind it just a bit. Wilden's Levesque, as the ball's on the other side, should be above his man. Right. So as he tries to run into that ball screen, we reroute him. But he's young and he doesn't know it. So if you focus on Frank at the bottom of the screen, you'll see the possession ends and Frank is kind of teaching like, 
like Wilderness, what are you doing? So if you give the big a free run into the ball screen, then that guard, you guys have good players. He's going to worm me. He's going to snake me. And then inevitably, he's going to force the switch. We don't want our 6'11 guy on your point guard. So we want to reroute him, but Wilderness doesn't do it. So right away, we're in trouble. So this is, this is almost just a full-out denial of the ball screen. Just stay on the top well, we, side and don't even let him get to it. Well, we reroute him. Right, reroute him, right. right. So right now we're in trouble because he got a free run into it. And this is a pretty good guard. So now he attacks Wildens. You can see Frank's right hand go up like, no, no, no. What are we doing? Now that guy's going downhill. Ryder's got a guard that's pretty good. We pick up our second foul. Queens has a pretty good player. We pick up our third foul on our big. Not good for us. This is great. That's a, that's a great concept. That's a great concept. So immediately Frank says, whoa, let's, let's clean this up. Let me explain it. Let me teach it. And then, all right, let's go back at it again. So here's our second possession. So pause right there. So right away, Mike Coatsar on defense. Go back a little bit, double A, if you don't mind. Mike Coatsar. I'll just give you a quick background so you're aware. Mike Coatsar played. He was a starting forward in, on the Final Four team. Okay. So, you know, he's he's done this before. Right. So the minute the, the pass is made from the top of the key to the wing, Mike Coatsar jumps to the ball, and then at that point he stops. Pause right there, double He forces Alonzo Frank, make a decision, go through me, offensive foul, which happens quite a bit in games, go back door, which you may get one, but you're 6'11 guy. That's not what he's built for. He, he wants to go into the ball screen or go higher, set the ball screen higher, which then we win the battle again. So pause right there. I want you to see the force in which Alonzo Frank is trying to get to the ball screen. And he's 270 pounds. So people, when they watch it with the naked eye, they say, well, Mike's fouling him. No, no, no. Mike jumps to the ball and he holds his ground. Left hand initiates the contact. We have the right to that. At this point, hold your ground, Mike. And now Alonzo Frank tries to push again. So pause now. Jair does a great job being into the ball. To Marlon's point a few minutes ago, he doesn't release the ball. To the point where he's got the ball handler facing the sideline. We're winning that battle right there. Because right now, everybody on the floor and all the coaches on the bench recognize he ain't going downhill. At least not right now. So here we go. We're in it. And then watch Mike's left hand. Pulls him through. Pull him through, man. So he can reconnect right away. That dribbles towards the sideline and half court. It's not going downhill. We've won that battle. Here's ball reversal. Right, from top, not balls back top of the key. Ball gets reversed. We're letting Buzzing. him beat him. Right. For the sake of the drill. For the sake of the drill to say, okay, let's work on our secondary uh, coverage because Ryder does a great job of putting you in multiple ball screens. Well, here's the second ball screen. Mike is yelling over, over, over. Justin is not releasing the ball. Jair's in the gap, and TJ just can't get downhill. So now pause two seconds now. Two seconds ago, we saw the freshman, Wildens Levesque, uh, allow the offensive player to get a free run. We stopped it. Frank corrected it. Now watch, without even going any further, Wildens Levesque listened, and he's above his man right now. Look how high he is. Big difference. Big so difference. Now when they reverse it, most guys are saying, well, I'm going to throw it over the top. 
if we didn't guard you up here, you probably could, but we guard you out here. Right. So that pass becomes a really challenging pass. So here comes Jair. Now watch Wildens. I'm not letting you get to it. No, redirect you, redirect you. Now pause right there for two seconds. That is a step-up ball screen or a flat ball screen, what we refer to as a Louisville ball screen. But what we've done is we've turned it into a side ball screen because X5 can't get to the position that they've been working on Monday through Friday. So what he does is he's so he's so frustrated that he can't get to his spot, he celebrates the fact that he's just there. <laughs> so right now, people don't understand the naked eye says, well, he got there. That's not the ball screen they work on Monday through Friday. So because he turns it sideways, go a little bit for me, double A, so they can see it. Pause right there. This now becomes a side ball screen, not a downhill ball screen. So now number five runs into Justin Manaya because he thinks it's a side ball screen. So those six inches completely change the dynamic of that ball screen offense. Now watch what happens to number five. He runs into Justin Manaya. Fights over the top. There's nowhere to go. Right, turnover. Turnover are gone. Now, when you do when you're doing this, and I don't want to, you know, I know you guys are playing uh <laughs> playing a writer uh this We're season. Playing zone. They're playing zone, right, right, right. I forgot about that. So um are you so your secondary ball coverage now, is that going to be universal for the game on how you're guarding it or now does that get broken down into scouting like okay if we're in our secondary coverage on this guy we might be guarding the ball screen a certain way if it got thrown to another guy and it's secondary it's another way or do you just keep it consistent no it breaks down great question we've got three ways we're going to guard the ball screen and, and that's it now we may make some exceptions because the Aaron Fox is just he too much that night. So it's like, okay, he's different, you know, but for the most part, we're going to, we're going to defend the ball screen. We got three coverages and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then now everything is predicated on, remember, we're not so much concerned with how we're going to guard the ball screen, how we're going to disrupt the ball screen right before he even gets there. So our mindset and our attitude is, we don't want Ryder to run the ball screen. So that means we got to really defend at the block C. And again, for the drill's sake, the wings are allowing the ball to be reversed. Because if this were a game, number 24 and White would probably go back door because he wouldn't get that pass. So then they would have to go in a different direction and then try to reverse it to the guy up, up top. So you know what I mean? So now we're, we're taking those options away. Right. And you're going to see that shortly when we show like, the game for game. Yeah, no, and just as a reminder, um, all of these clips will be available on our, our YouTube page, uh, Bleachers and Boards, uh, for you to check out. But, uh, you know, we're definitely uh, going to have Chuck keep teaching uh, this because this is this is great stuff. This is awesome. So here we are, same same thing, balls up top. And, and now here we go. So Alonzo Frank is like, you know what, I ain't having it. This is the third possession. But this is what happens in the games. That's an offensive foul. Mm-hmm. He's so frustrated that he can't get to it. What we do is we just don't stop it. But Zoe is like, man, I'm 270 pounds. I'm getting to the screen. But no problem. The referee doesn't call it. We got to play. We go under. Sorry, he does a great job of meeting him right away. Nope, not letting you turn the corner. 
What's our secondary coverage? Mike Coltar is yelling it out. Jair Bolden's in position. We got a freshman that it should be at the midline, which he's getting there a little bit now. And then pause right there. He's not bad at it. He he just got to clean up his technique. But but he understands the concept. The minute they threw the ball to 24, he got right in front of him. Says, no, I'm not letting you run into the ball screen. Right. Now, again, this is only his fifth time maybe doing this. So the fact that he at least understands and trusts the concept is a win. Now you got to you gotta move without putting your hands on him so you don't foul. Right, same position, slap ball screen, the Louisville oh, ball screen, as you said. Yep. So he, he, he started out on the left side, but he went to the right side. Yep. Right? So he starts out on the left side. But he right now we reroute him. And he says, I just want to get to it. Right. He's wrestling he with him. The dynamic and the spacing right. of the ball screen. We won the battle. And, and pause right there. We got right. him at the block seat. Right. We got him higher, higher. So now because that that five man, that big man can't get a free run into the ball screen, number 24, he's getting heated up. There's unbelievable pressure. So he becomes anxious. I just want to go. Right. This guy's taking too long to get there. So right. now it becomes a moving screen. The timing is off. The spacing is off. So Keyshawn Bryant's like, man, this guy's all over me. I just got to go. Right. And so another that, thing I'm noticing, too, is the shot clock's at nine. So right. he so he probably looked up at the shot clock. was like, well, this guy's not here to screen for me. There's nine seconds left on the clock. I just have to go. But then the screen is not there. And so the guard's able to stay with him. That's yep. exactly right. And plus you're 40 feet from the basket. <laughs> That's a, so it's a great point by you because what happens is most most kids on, on any level, high school, collegiate level, like they're not used to being defended at the half court line. Like every time. Right. And I didn't really understand that concept until I started working for Frank. And to your point, when you're defended at the half court line, you essentially tilt the court that way, which then forces the ball handler who normally just kind of casually brings the ball up to the top of the key. And if he's good enough, he'll make a left to right, right to left crossover, one, two dribbles, he's in the lane. Because we fight the ball, you now have to take 10 dribbles just to get to the top of the key. And then another two dribbles to get inside the key. And over 40 minutes, that wears on you. And as, as those dribbles are taking place, Matt just made a great point. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Where if you initiate your offense at the top of the key or at the three point line, then, you know, you save two or three seconds here. The clock doesn't run as quickly on you. Um, yeah. So here's the ball reversal. And then Mike Coatsard is crafty enough. Him and Justin Manaya is a ball screen in the corner and Mike just recognizes it. And says, you know what, let me help real quick. Veteran guy, Manaya is smart enough to say he turned his back. Let me get back there. And this is not a, a big-time shooter. He's the five-man. We can survive this possession. It's kind of a yep. fourth shot, too. There's one second left on the clock, so you got to mm-hmm. put it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's intense. Mike Coates are, again, go to, go back double-A two seconds. So, so like, like it, I can't emphasize this enough. Alonzo Frank knows that we're about to do this. And Alonzo Frank at 270 pounds is trying to get to the ball screen. But Mike Kotar says, no, I'm not letting you do that. So watch this. Stay on my ground. 
So Zoe is way outside the three-point line, right. which then forces the ball handler two feet behind the three-point line, which forces him to take two more dribbles just to get back to the three-point line if he's trying to drive it. So, Chuck, what would you say the um, um, the teaching points are if you if you had to bullet point it as far as say from the beginning of the ball screen to the the end of the ball screen? What what would the bullet points be? Don't release the ball. Okay. Number one, don't release the ball. Number two, reroute him. Reroute him, and then the weak side's got to get to the midline, or what we refer to as the dumbass line. <laughs> right. Get to the dumbass line. Right. Right. So real, it, it, as simple as that. Don't release the ball. Reroute them. Weak side. Get to the dumbass line. And and then and then you're going to see some of the stuff in in some of the games. I'm not so sure. Far. Yeah, I'm not sure what the next possession is, uh, or is it just is it the same thing? Double A. Yeah, he was able to. So now here's 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 a live game against Missouri. So right away, AJ Lawson guarding the ball is doing a poor job because he's not. He just let him walk the ball up. I want to fight that sucker, fight the ball. Don't let him get there. That being said, we still have the ball at the block C. Right. He's starting his offense, not at the three-point line, but at the block C. So now the point guard from Missouri centered the ball. Now we have a slot ball screen on the right uh, right lane line. So AJ fights over the top. Mike Coates are supports. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to run a, a roll and replace. Go back for two seconds, double A. And this is really subtle because of the angle of the camera. Uh, the naked eye can't see it. Go back just a little bit further, double A. But hopefully, because you guys have seen the, the practice clips, right. you can appreciate this now. Watch Mike Kotsar. Right, he's on the top he's side of him. Top side already. Right. Now, Kwanzo, Coach Martin, does a great job. He's got him prepared. So this kid is fighting to try to get there. But Mike says, nope, I'm going to just nudge you just enough so now it's not a middle pick and roll. It's okay. in the slot. It's on the slot now. Yep. So now I protect the rim. Justin Manaya knows I don't have to help on that. Mike's got that. I'm good. I can close out on the shooter. Roll and replace is taken away. All right. So just that just that disruption just for, changes the angle of the screen and where they're trying to get the ball and the action overall. That that disruption that that's huge. Correct. So like you saw in practice, just that simple nudge or reroute. It changes the angle of the pick and roll, which completely changes the dynamic of that particular action. Now, so, let, let me let me ask this: How many times can you actually get an offensive foul call? As the, like you said, as the game goes on for forty minutes, guys kind of get agitated that they can't get to their spots. Right. It, you know, like you said, it, it's important to if you can pick up a foul here and there, and you know those add up. How many times a game? Do you guys necessarily get an offensive foul on a guy that's just, you know, PO that he can't get to his spot on those ball screens? We may not get like a ton of offensive fouls, but what we do get is discouragement. Okay. okay. They become discouraged because they think, all right, I'm going to sprint into this ball screen. The game just started. There's adrenaline pumping. And it's like, you know what? Okay. I couldn't get there once. I'm going to try it again. And then by the 20th possession, it's like, I'm discouraged. Right. I can't get there. So you're going to see a clip in a few minutes of a, a NCAA team that we're playing against, and you're going to see discouragement. You're going to see a kid just say, I don't want to do this anymore. And he literally just runs into the wall and walks back to the baseline. 
as their coach is waving like, what are you doing? And really, the kid is saying, I'm, I'm worn out, man. I'm tired. I can't get to it. And we're going to see that in a few minutes. Okay. So now they're trying to go with the middle, middle ball, middle high ball screen. Right. So if you go back for two seconds, you if double A goes back, my coach are, is savvy. To me, it's just my opinion. My coach are going to play in the league and be an elite defender. Go back two more seconds for me, double A. Mike knows, like, watch his left hand. You're not setting it inside the three-point line. I'm not letting you. He's actually pushing the screener up above, two steps above the, the three-point line. Which then forces number one, who's a pretty good player. He's almost by the block C. Right. Now, if Mike allowed him. that screen to be inside the three, then he'd probably shoot it from where number 30, A.J. Lawson, our player. Right. But because we forced the screen higher, this kid's like, I'm out of my range. I'm going to go use the screen, but really got nothing out of it. So now he picks some pops. Now, the, the I guess that's the five-man has a ball on the left lane line. They set a little pin down on the on the weak side. Right. Got nothing out of that. Yeah. And then they're just now they're trying to play. So this is at Georgia. And pause right there. Not great, but we got the little point guard Wheeler at half court. Yep. That's where he's starting his offense because he feels – and the game just started. It's only been a minute and whatever and a half. But that little dude feels the pressure of like, I can't initiate offense at the top of the key the way we're used to. So automatically it forces him to take – six additional dribbles just to get to the three-point line. So right now we're okay. So they they wanted a ball screen, but he just gave up on it. Right. He never came off of it. He just he just like, man, I can't move. There's nowhere to go. So he just drives it, kicks it, and they take a three. And that's right. – I, don't, that I, don't that I don't think that's what they wanted on that position. No. no. <laughs> so pause right there. So if, if we had to – if 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 we had pause, grow a little bit further for me, double A. Number one, keep your eyes on number one. This is all part of our defensive scheme, right? So again, the ball starts at half court. Let him initiate it at half court, man. Don't let him start it higher. So now they're going into it. So the ball screen is really high, almost by the G. Right. Which yes, then, yes, hey, go under. All good. And now make every pass difficult. So there's one pass. Get him higher. Go guard him, Keyshawn. Now watch number one. I'm not letting you catch the ball where you want. I'm not letting you do it. So now, four, so that's one one possession out the way. And now number 14 feels pressure. I got to go. My coach are traps what we call the box. We meet him at the rim with length and size. And then he takes a tough shot. So he just he... – he was isolated on the right wing, drove it to the block, five man steps over, contests at the around the block area, forces him a tough shot and a miss. So teams are saying when you play South Carolina, you know, put him in horns, single horns, double horns. So because we've seen it all and, and teams are run really good stuff against us, we watch the film and then we learn how to defend it better. So here's a, a horns action. Flare. But, it, but there's no threat. Go back for two seconds, double A. So number 12, who's a good player, if we're given a teaching point, right? So if you're coaching, if, I, if, I, if I'm coaching and I got these guys in film, I'll say to these guys, pause for two seconds. Was his dribble towards the sideline or the rim? 
And now they're part of our culture now, so they kind of know where I'm going with this. Sideline Chuck, which means he's not trying to turn the corner. When he's not trying to turn the corner, what they trying to run on horns? Flares. So they recognize it right away. That's why nobody overhelps because number 12 dribbles towards the sideline. So we already recognize the action. We sniff it out. So now there's the flare. We recover. When I gets there, and here's a drive, and now, now they're just playing one-on-one. And Mike Kotsar is phenomenal at what we refer to as trapping the box. Mm-hmm. Anywhere on the floor, he's going to meet you at the rim. And he's not good. He's, like, phenomenal at it. And uh, uh, Chuck, let, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we are playing zone when we play. <laughs> yeah. Here we go, Andy. Here comes the questions now. <laughs> no, nah, you know what? Just just talk about how important, and, and you've harped on it, but how important Mike Kozar is. Mike Kozar. He's is, talking on every clip, and I know our, our listeners uh, can't see it, but they'll be able to see it on our YouTube page. But just talk about how important he is to your program. You know, Mike Kotsar, in my in my 22 years, and I could be wrong because we've had some pretty good defenders, but, like, he's the best defender I've ever been around because he can guard multiple positions. He can guard one, two, three, four, five. Can he guard a one, the whole possession? Maybe not, but if he had to switch out to him or at the end of the game, if, if it's a high-level kid, like the kid that Georgia had, Anthony uh, uh, Edwards, yeah. we were prepared at the end of the game with a minute left, let Mike guard him. Let, you know, because he, he moves his feet, and what you can't see on film, he's six foot 10, 272 pounds, and he moves his feet as well as anybody on the floor. Right. The other thing he does is he's an anchor. So he anchors all four guys. He's con- he's constantly, as Marlon mentioned, communicating to everyone on the floor. This is the ball screen coverage, over, under, down. Wh- whatever that coverage that he sees, he communicates that early and often so everybody else can hear it early and often, and then we can go execute it. He's tremendous. I can't say enough about Mike Kozar. We're going to miss him. He uh, He's actually coming back for the Ryder game. <laughs> NCAA exception. <laughs> Fifth year for one game. No, he's great. No, he's great, man. He he's uh he was really, really fun to coach. This is good stuff. Um, so that's Missouri. So now here's it's really what it is, it's just it's pressure defense to the next level. You know, when you hear about pressure defense, it's about pressuring the wings and you know, different things like that that um, you know, are the general things that you hear about, but it's almost this is to the next level of pressure defense, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just taking away actions, taking, you know, not just taking away passes, but taking away actions before they happen. Just right. total denial of, of or redirecting of um, actions and passes. And, and coach, you guys are good. So, you know, this is not for everyone, right? This is this, this, you got to coach to your personality and what you feel comfortable with. So this is not for everyone. And we're not saying, I'm not saying that this is the best defense in the world. This is just good for us and our culture. And if you like it, awesome. If you don't like it and you disagree, that's okay too. But we just do it differently. And um, so I just figured, you know what, let's talk some basketball and share some some of the differences that that, that we may have and how we defend. Absolutely. 
So here's the single horns action again with Missouri. And Jalen does a good job. The freshmen go back. This is a great clip to teach. So now, Marlon, this is what we do not want. And he's the kid on the ball is a freshman. So he releases the ball. Mm-hmm. Pause right there, double A. He go that like no sub. Get <laughs> off the game. Collapses on the screen. Gets yeah. Him. So when he releases the ball, he essentially forces a switch. Right. We don't want that. So now he's a freshman. He's never played in the SEC game, and he thinks, "Hey, I'm just going to switch on a six ten guy." We just happen to survive the possession, and the kid that switched on to the point guard actually is pretty good at moving his feet, so he can survive it a little bit. But that's an example of releasing the ball, and then that's a that's a total breakdown. We don't want that. We just survived it, and uh, and, and you know we got to stop if I'm not mistaken. Yes. But you guys have no, you know, very low tolerance, if if no tolerance at all for for the, that type of uh, slippage. Get him out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hey, now there's Chuck's being nice because we've seen Frank on the sidelines and we've heard the words that he likes to use. So words of encouragement. Right. <laughs> but you know what's interesting though is that um that that perception is out there, right? That, you know, but this is a lot more intricate than just, you know, there's obviously a toughness factor, right? And obviously a um a determination factor, but you know, this is this is very technical. I think it's a great point. That's why I think like people have this perception of you got SEC athletes and you just you get them to play hard, which we do. But there are unbelievable details to it. And and if you if you don't execute the details defensively, then you're just going to have chaos. You're just going to have five guys running around, fouling, hitting people. And that's that's clearly not what we want. So this is kind of an opportunity for us to to kind of dispel that myth that all we do is just give them to play hard and then that's it. There's some there's some strategy to it. So here's here's a weave into a middle pick and roll. So dribble. So now Trey guards the ball a little bit harder, a little bit more resistance, forces the catch a little bit higher, a little weave. And then to the point I made earlier, Alonzo Frank knows that he's dribbling sideline. I'm not go I'm not gonna let him drag me outside the elbows. So here's Weave, and this is going to be really good. You'll see Mike Coates are at an elite level right now. Gotcha. The, the kid who was dribbling is a six, seven, six, eight, three man who put his name in the draft, Hammond. And, and Mike just was able to move his feet. So this is what teams do to us. This is against Mississippi State. They, they know, like, these guys, man, they, they won't let us go into the ball screen. So try to get a screener, screen screen screener action. So this is what we try to simulate in practice. I'm late. I wanted to get there. I wanted to reroute him, but I'm late. So we got to get to our second coverage. So here we are. We're in it. They got nothing out of it. So took away the ball screen. And that's kind of what you saw in practice. Because mm-hmm. it's not going to always be perfect, right? Other teams, other coaches are really good at what they do. So how, how are we going to react to that? And is that where the line is, Chuck? So if it's okay, the game starts, and you, you guys know defensively what you're trying to do. You know we're not even going to let them get to the ball screen. 
but then they run an action like a you know a screen to you know screen the screener action to get into the ball screen. So now I'll assume, but you can tell me if I'm wrong, that okay, we didn't know that going in that that's what they're going to do. So that slippage is allowed on that first one, and now we go with our secondary coverage. But now once we've seen it and we go over it over the next time out, now the expectation is okay. We know we're they're doing this. So now then if <laughs> even if they do it, if you still don't get it where you're supposed to be then come sit down. <laughs> is, yeah. is that about right? Yeah, but but even even further to that, even if you're unaware, let's say they put a new action in. Mm-hmm. But let's say this is the first time we've seen this guard screen Mike Kotar at the elbow. Right. Like that's the first time I've guys have ever seen that. You still know that our secondary coverage is this. Regardless of what Mississippi State is going to run or Ryder or Queens or – or, you know, whoever, you in some ways are irrelevant. How you run your offense, we're focused on our defense. Oh, so if you choose to screen us and we're late, you may not, you may have not known that they were going to screen you, but you do know the secondary coverage. Right. And you do know the third coverage. So that's where, to your point, in a timeout, hey, they're screening with the guard so the big can get a, a free run. So if you're late, Let's go into our secondary coverage. So right now you can see number five guarding the guard. He's going to screen Mike Coatsar to get him into an empty right. side ball screen. Right. So the guard brought the ball over to the wing, and then it's almost like dribbles him through to the uh, to the screen. elbow to screen into the uh, ball screen. Right. But the guard refused it and went base. Pretty good player gets to the rim. TJ does a pretty good job, like really getting after the ball. So so right now. We're, we're in a good position. Go back for two seconds, double A. So, like, he never passed the ball. That's a win for us because he's not running off. There's no offense, right? I'm dribbling. I'm dribbling. He's like, yo, man, I got to get rid of this ball. I'm dribbling. <laughs> so, at that on that possession, they ran no offense. Right. Well, we got time for, for one more, double A. Give us a good one here with this uh, thumbs down. So there's here's the one. Pause right there. The one we talked about. You guys were asking, do we get an offensive foul? No, what you get is discouragement. Watch number 24. Oh, man, I'm just going back. <laughs> number 24 is sprinting from the block and says, I can't get there. So he just says, man, whatever. He just quits on the play. So now we get Purry, who do they, they do not want to pick and pop with. But – they got to do something because they can't run offense. So this is a, one of my favorite clips. He just doesn't let them get there, and he just quits on it. Right. So he just walks back to the corner. And that's what we want. We want discouragement. To test his shot, rebound, go the other way. So I know we we uh, we talked for a long time, but hopefully yeah, that's was- okay. No, that was great. That was awesome. No, that's uh- – that's good stuff, and and you can definitely see the uh, the detail that goes into the teaching, uh, uh, the finer points of it. And it, it would be, <laughs> if you drill it enough, and the guys buy in, and you know, just like anything, it, it's going to be successful. And obviously, you guys are. So uh, that's a credit to uh, you know the staff and, and what you guys are teaching. But that's uh, that's a, I mean, like I said, you, you know, you hear about pressure defense, but that <laughs> that's that's to the next that's to the next level. I'm gonna be honest. I got discouraged looking at it. <laughs> so, 
Our guys. Come on, coach. You can you can't go in with that attitude. No, no, no. We're young. Our bigs are young. Wilden's Lebec is young. Jalen. So everything that you saw on on that footage, it'll take us forever to try to execute. Our young guys. Mike Coulter was awesome. Seriously, Mike. Mike was unbelievable. And um, if you know, it's a big challenge for us to get our young guys to understand the different reads and understand how to anchor the defense. Um, so it's going to take us some time, but 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 I think it's an effective way to defend. And you know we've got some good players. Um, I don't know if we're loaded like some of the other teams in our in our league are, but we were able to finish fourth place two years ago and finish tied for fifth last year with a, with a, a bunch of young guys. And I mean this this is a credit to Virginia. Virginia had not lost at home a non conference game at home. I think in like seven, eight years. And we were able to go in there and defend really, really well. And um, and they missed some shots. You know, it wasn't just they missed some shots, but we were able to go in there with a pretty good game plan and and walk away with a win at a really, really tough place at Virginia against an incredible uh program and culture and, and tremendous coach. Right. So so you know, it works, you know, when these guys buy into it. When you touched on you know, obviously watching a Frank Martin team from South Carolina to, to Kansas State, you know, toughness is a necessity. Uh, if you're not tough, you can't survive. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. That's going to segue into... The next half of our show, you're an uptown guy, um, you know, where some would say hip hop originated. I, I beg to differ. I'm sure Matt will beg to differ being from. <laughs> I mean, well, no, let me say this. I am from Queens, mm-hmm. but I have to admit the Bronx is where hip hop started. No, no, South, no. South Bronx. I have to I have to give it up. I have to. It is, it is what it is. It, 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 is, it is what it is. I can't. As much as I, you know, hey, MC back Shand and forth. Called, MC Shan just called. Yeah, but you know, you have to be honest. <laughs> you got to be honest about it. You got to be honest about uh, it. It is, it is what it is. I'll give them their credit for that. I'll give them their that's credit. That's funny. I'll that's give them funny. their credit for it. Well, no, nah, so we'll, we'll ask you this, man. So obviously, you know, there's always a, a connection between uh, hip hop and, and basketball. And for you being a guy, you know, from the Bronx, uh, j- just talk a little bit about, you know, s- some artists that one you grew up listening to, right? And you know, I want the full, and I'm sure Matt wanted to give us some some hip hop guys that can actually play, that can play, man, that can hoop, man. That's a great question. I'm trying to think of guys that can play who are hip hop guys. Uh, I'll say this. I grew up with your man, who you guys know well. I know Marlon, you know really well. John Morton. Yeah. 
So John and I grew up in the same neighborhood, same block. And um, back, I'm older, right? I'm 51. So like back then, there was this thing that was happening. And but you but it was new. And you never really heard about it. Like never really like it, it wasn't commercial. I mean, this is like the the infancy stages of hip hop. And and people didn't really even know what it was. It was just like this form of music with energy. And if you're a hip hop historian and, and you're trying to, you know, trying to figure out some stuff, there's a place on my block that's now a 99 cent store. But some people credit some of the some of the first artists performing at the Fever. Yep. Yeah. So the fever was literally on my block. It's a 99 cent store now. It's a 99 cent store. Wow, right how about that? So I can't it, say I've been there, but I've heard I've heard about it. You hear rappers so, talk about it. So if you look at any hip hop uh, documentary and they go way back, they mention the fever. Yep. And and, you know, whether it's Starsky or Hollywood or whoever at the fever and people didn't really know what was going on in there. But there was an energy. There's a line around the corner. And your mom was like, don't go in there. <laughs> right. you know, your mom and your dad were like, do not go to the fever. And the fever literally was, no no lie, 40 yards from my apartment building. Mm. So it's like when you walked out the door, the fever was there Saturday night and it's popping. Right. And like, you don't really know what's going in there. But something cool something's, is happening. Something's, going on. something's evolving in like 1979, 1980. And, and then you could just feel this change in the culture. And then all of a sudden you see these guys on um, cardboard boxes. They're getting these cardboard boxes and they're pulling them apart. And like they're spinning on their heads. And you're like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And it's like they're B-boys. I'm like, what? What is that? And so like. No one saw that before. This this was like this is the equivalent of like someone like doing the sham god for the first time. You're mm-hmm. like, you can't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't put a sentence together and rhyme. You can't mm-hmm. spin on your head like that. What is that? So it was like a fascinating time because no one really knew at that moment in 79, 80, 81. You didn't really know what that was, but you knew like this is cool. Wow. Whatever this is, is cool. And then the fever became the place to to be at. And then the very first time I saw KRS-One's video and he had an army down the Grand Concourse, then it was over, right? Because right. you're like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Whatever that was, that's cool. So that was like my first experience with like hip hop. Um, and I didn't know it at the time that the fever was the place to be at. Right. You know, whether you're from Queens and Brooklyn or or Long Island, like this, if you wanna, if you wanna be a part of this movement, if you wanna be a part of this new music, if you wanna have fat laces in your Adidas and don't tie them, go to the fever. Right. Mm-hmm. And and all your parents would be like, don't go <laughs> don't to the go fever. <laughs> so was it was a cool moment. No, that's all that's an awesome story. Wow. That's right down the block from you. Like, did you s- 99 cents store. And every once in a while, I go in there just to like, yeah, 
Yeah, not because your mom told you not to go in there. Now it's all right. I'm on aisle nine, mom. After fever, I know I'm 51. I made it to the made it to the fever. Yeah, and that must have been cool too because we're you know like in your neighborhood where they having like the park jams and doing all of that stuff out in the you know in the parks and that, stuff like that. That was the first time you were introduced right. to this new music. So at night, like Tony Childs, who you guys know, yeah, his dad. Uh, so we'll get you on here at some yeah. point. Tone is the best, so absolutely. Matt, his dad was a DJ, Matt. Okay. He would have these, like, seriously, like six foot five speakers, <laughs> and it was like like four of them, and like it was quiet, and everyone's just staring at him, like, "What are you doing?" And then within like five to eight minutes, this music came on, and like this guy with this deep voice was like, "Who is that?" It's like some guy named Melly Mel. How about that? I'm like, what? How about Who is this dude? And all of a sudden, you like fell in love with it. Right. You're like, whoever that guy is, play it again. Right. And then every weekend, you would have these huge speakers and in Nelson Park. And then that movement started. Like, there was a legitimate movement. So all of a sudden, it became an art form. So guys who maybe weren't rappers or or DJs, they want to express that feeling of music through art. And back then it was called tagging. Yep. I'm going to tag the trains. I'm going to tag the building. Right. So I knew and you knew who was there based on your tag name, right. which was not your real name, right. your <laughs> government name. Right. But you knew, like, my man is nice. Mm-hmm. Yo, you see what he do on the four train? Did you see what he what he did on, you know, on the side of the building? So there was this culture of artists who were tagging. Then there was this culture of, of these guys who were referring to themselves as B-boys. And you're like, what is that? And they're spinning on their heads and they're pop locking and break dancing. And then then you had like these dudes like Melly Mel, Sugar Hill Gang. It was like, this is it. I don't really know what this is. You know how you get that feeling like, I don't really know what this is, but I'm going to rock with this. It's going to be something. This is going to be something. You just felt there was an energy that you couldn't get away from. Right. And um, and then it people don't I don't know if people really understand who are younger. There was a uh, a collaboration. I don't know if it was done on purpose between, you know, rapper, DJ and then like street artists. Mm-hmm. And then and then like, you know, dancing. There, there was a collaboration of the arts and this movement just kept getting bigger and bigger. And and then the artists became better and then they started to get bigger bigger uh, stages to perform their work. And then all of a sudden it was at the fever, the DJ MC. And then you had a guy tagging on in the background on stage. Mm-hmm. So he's tagging with, with different cans and different colors. And it was like, again, I don't know what this is. I want to rock with this. Right. And all you heard because the parents didn't understand it. Right. And so don't go. No, no, don't to go. The <laughs> but it's also interesting just because, you know, how you speak on that and how, you know, it correlates with basketball because it's almost the same energy because it was competitive. Yeah. Right. Because you have the different crews and it's OK. Who's the best tagger? Who's the best B-boy? Who's the best DJ? Who's the best rapper? And I think awesome. that's I think that's what the part of what the connection is, is that competitive um, spirit of, you know, who's the best at this? Who's the best at that? And I think that's where the overlap comes, at least. That's how I, you know, see it interpreted from a basketball perspective. So that that's great. That's awesome to hear. Uh, that's it's a great point because if you look at some old footage mm-hmm. of guys b-boying and tagging, 
I mean like old footage, like like early, like year number one. They're doing it with aggression. Mm-hmm. And really what they're doing is it's a substitute for the physical fight. Right. I, I don't really like you. I got my crew. You got your crew. Different neighborhoods, different boroughs, different so gonna, Right. So we're going to compete and my B-boy crew against your B-boy crew. But there's an aggression in how they're dancing. There's an aggression in how they're using the spray can. And, and it's like, no, these guys are doing it with intentions. I want you to feel my energy as I create this art. And so, yes, there was a competitive nature to it. You know what? Awesome. I'm going to pose this question, being that you're a Bronx guy, and we've had this discussion off air, but we're going to ask you, where does, because somebody on here, I'm not saying who. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Where do you have KRS-One in your hip-hop Mount Rushmore? See, I'm I'm almost afraid to answer that. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. You know why? <laughs> I'm afraid to answer that because I, I, I listen to you guys. You guys don't know this. Dudes. <laughs> Let me say this, Double A. These dudes are into it. <laughs> so like, if I say something that's not right, like, yeah, I'm going to be invited again. No, 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 no. It would never come to that. It's always you know family. It's, it's so always hard, family. man, because I'm a product of I'm a product of my of my uh, my experience. Right. So it's hard for me to share like like here's something that that younger guys take for granted, and I know I know the visual forum. You're not asking me that, but like there was no video back then. Mm. The first time the bridge was over, when people saw that, it was like this is the best thing in the world. Like the first time you saw an MC like on camera on film, and then you said that's my block. Mm. Like there's a feeling that connects you to that. And even if he's not maybe the greatest, or there's an emotional connection. Right. Now, guys who, who were born a little bit later, they're like, what? It's a video. I'm like, bro, <laughs> there's no videos before right. that. Right. That was like, everything. You didn't yeah. even know. You, you, you never knew what KRS-One looked like. Right. And all of a sudden, not only do you see him, they're all uniformed in black and white jackets. Like, they're, they're a team. These dudes are an army. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Right. So I, I got an emotional attachment to that era. So I don't want, I can't answer that question. I was going to say, Matt, he definitely did not answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right. Listen, we don't have to get into that tonight. It's all right. It's all right. We don't have to get Yeah, We don't have to get into it tonight. He's, uh, he's, Just he's, so we're clear, Matt was taking Shan 10 times out of 10. Uh, 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 From Queens. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, a, some, some, it's similar, similar energy. Yeah, it's, it's similar energy. He's from the other side of Queens, but you know, but that was, you know, that was kind of the first, my first entree. And you know, I, when you're from Queens, you always have that little chip on your shoulder because you know we we took a lot of shots. But I always say that we hold our own. You know, no, but we hold we hold our own with any, with everybody. <laughs> we always true. take our shots. So I'm always I'm a Queens first guy. So I always. <laughs> you know, I got a feeling that you guys have had this discussion oh, a couple, couple times, a couple times, a couple times, a couple times. Say what you feel. Tell the listeners. Tell up. Tell Double A what you feel about KRS One. Hey, I wasn't afraid to talk about Big. That's true. That's true. I, I see. Again, he's a he's a legend, and you know, please, you know, don't tag him, you know, in in the video. But uh, it's uh, he's a legend. I just think that. 
little overrated. I'll say, <laughs> I'll say, I'll say that. He's a legend. I, I have no qualms with his uh, contribute. You know, he's made unbelievable contributions to uh, to the genre, to the the art form, without question. Like Chuck said, I mean, he brought a lot to the table. From a skills perspective, I think there's a lot of people better than him, but you know I won't disrespect what he's done for the uh, for the game, and I'll leave it at that. I'll leave product, it. Product, you, you can't see it, but Chuck has called the Bronx, and you are no longer allowed. <laughs> all the bridges, all the bridges is a Bronx are shut down for you. You got no pass to go to 100. I got no pass. I got no pass. No, I have none. no pass. I have no pass. Yeah, listen. We just try. I try. I try to. You know. I try to be honest. But no. You know. No disrespect to that man. I'm just. You know. No. No. No, no disrespect. No. All no fun. Disrespect. All oh, yeah. Absolutely. Fun. Again, it's you know it's competitive. So that's what the the opinion's about. No. But now this has been great. Um. Again, this is uh this is what we're trying to do here, and I, I think we can. We couldn't have done any better than uh, our first guest on uh, Bleachers and Boards than uh, Chuck Martin from South Carolina. That was fun. And I uh, I had a fun number one, but I, you know, well, I'll say number two because number one, I learned a lot and, and it's uh, technically what you guys do is, is outstanding. And I want to uh, thank Andy also for, for assisting um, and, and helping us learn, um, you know, about the, uh, your ball screen, uh, ball screen defense. And um, I think it was great and, uh, you know, really appreciate it for uh, Chuck, you coming on and, and teaching us and the listeners, uh, you know, what you guys do. And hopefully guys can take something from it, from their programs or put it in their toolbox. Cause uh, this is what it's about. And that's what we're trying to do. That was awesome, man. Seriously. I appreciate you guys having me. You guys made it easy. Um, I think you guys are on to something. I'm not just saying that there's a chemistry between, you and Marlon, there's an energy that that's uh, that's that you can feel through the screen. So, I, I, without a doubt, this is going to be awesome to to see evolve, develop, and it's going to be fun to watch. All right, I appreciate that. So Marlon, take us home. Take us home. Uh, you know, just to piggyback off what Matt said, Chuck, we appreciate you, uh, Andy. You were a big part of this. And Andy, I'm going to ask you, what are you listening to right now, music-wise? What what gets you pumped before a film session? <laughs> KRS One. <laughs> I, um, I don't know. What would do? Probably Rage Against the Machine. Sound okay. Like All right. Okay. okay. Respect. Respect. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. We're gonna have you on your own episode of. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. About Rage Against the Machine as well, because. I'm going to be honest, and I think uh, Chuck can uh, attest to this and Matt as well. Rage Against the Machine only came on on MTV, and I didn't get MTV in my house till I was about 12. We <laughs> <laughs> used to have the brown cable box. With the, <laughs> with the buttons you had to push yeah. down on that top. <laughs> and Andy, we appreciate you. Yeah, nice. No, great great job, Andy. Thank you very much. Appreciate well, thank it. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. A lot of fun. This was awesome. great. And, um, you know, for our listeners, uh, hopefully you guys learn something. Uh, you'll have a chance to watch it on our YouTube page as well. And for uh, Matt Collier, this is Marlon Gill signing off for the Hoop Heads podcast. Uh, we look forward to getting to have you guys listen to us some more. Bye-bye. Appreciate Take care. you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Andy. Well, that's another episode of Bleachers and Boards brought to you by the Hoop Heads Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Bleachers and Boards. 
Until next time, see you soon.